This is Broken Pledge, a special project of the Columbus Dispatch. It is a story about fraternity hazing, the life and death of Colin Wyant, and a Greek life tradition that has left nearly 100 students dead since 2000. Colin, an 18-year-old honorable student at Ohio University, decided to join the Sigma Pi fraternity a month into his freshman year, but he never made it to the end of his pledging process. In November 2018, Colin died after collapsing in the fraternity's unofficial off-campus house. The dispatch spent a year investigating how Colin died and what happened in the aftermath. We interviewed dozens of people, reviewed court records, police reports, and recordings of disciplinary hearings to illuminate the dangers of hazing and the secrecy that surrounds it. Then, in November 2019, the dispatch published a six-part audio story that was heard by tens of thousands across the nation. Chapter 7 follows the Wyant's tireless journey to combat hazing and lobby for a new law that they hope would spare other families their enduring pain. But another Central Ohio family would suffer the Wyant's fate while the hazing bill languished at the State House. I am Sheridan Hendricks. This is Chapter 8 of Broken Pledge. As you listen to the special project, please consider supporting investigative journalism like this by visiting dispatch.com slash subscribe now. On the night of March 3rd, Stone Foltz texted his mom, Sherry, and asked her for some Netflix recommendations. Stone, a 20-year-old sophomore at Bowling Green State University in Northwest Ohio, was bored. Sherry joked with Stone that he should be studying instead of watching shows, but later asked Corey, Stone's dad, to send him suggestions. Stone was having a bad night and said he wanted to come home and talk about what was bothering him. Sherry told him he was always welcome to come home. During the conversation, Stone told his mom that there was a drinking ritual planned with his fraternity brothers for the next night. Stone didn't want to go. That just sounds stupid, Sherry texted. Sherry questioned why the fraternity would be holding such an event. Why do they have it? Why do you have to go drink? But Stone, a 2019 graduate of Buckeye Valley High School in Delaware County, just north of Columbus, told his mom that he had no choice. If he didn't go, he wouldn't be allowed to join the fraternity he was pledging. Pi Kappa Alpha International, better known on campus as Pike. Sherry again told him that he didn't have to do anything he didn't want to. She trusted him to make the right decision. If it's stupid, don't go. Just be smart about it. This was the first time Sherry was hearing about pledges being required to drink alcohol. Stone had considered joining a fraternity as freshman year, but Sherry and Stone's aunt DJ Williams talked him out of it. Then, suddenly, in February of his sophomore year, he was planning to rush Pike. He had met some boys from his hometown in Pike, and that made him feel comfortable. He wanted the networking opportunities that fraternities offer members so that he could one day get a fashion line off the ground. Before this texting exchange on March 3rd, Stone had only mentioned having to clean some rooms or buy groceries or serve as a designated driver for his fraternity brothers. There was no discussion about hazing. If Stone didn't feel comfortable... Sherry believed her son would say no. She trusted him to make the right decision. This time, it was too late to change his mind. The next day, on March 4th, Sherry texted Stone at 8.44 p.m. and jokingly asked if he was drunk yet. No, he replied. The ritual wasn't set to start for another 15 minutes. Sherry said she would call him around 10 p.m. that night to see how he was doing, but Stone told her not to. Sherry did what Stone asked and didn't call her son. 
And I never in a million years thought to myself that it would be this. I mean, I had no clue. I had no idea. I wouldn't have joked around with him if I knew it was going to be that severe. I mean, they don't tell you anything about this. In the pledge book, there's nothing. He had no, I, I don't think he knew the severity of it and what was done to him. And at that point, you know, the peer pressure and, and the point of feeling you belong and you're already sucked into it. University records, coroner's reports, and information gathered by the Fultz family attorney, Rex Elliott, together paint a horrific picture of the next few hours of Stone's life. Stone and several other pledges, dressed in formal wear, were taken to an off-campus location. This was Big Brother night for the Pike Pledges. The event, common in many fraternities nationwide, is where pledges are introduced to the active fraternity member that will serve as their mentor or Big Brother. There were dozens of active fraternity members present for the event and even some Pike alumni. The pledges were blindfolded with their own ties. They were pushed around and yelled at so that they would be disoriented and confused. They were divided and taken into separate rooms. Their ties were then removed and standing in front of each pledge was his big brother. The big brothers were each holding a bottle of alcohol containing hard liquor. The bottle contained about 18 shots. The pledges were told they had to drink every last drop. The active members ridiculed, cheered, and implored the pledges to drink as fast as they could. If they failed or stopped drinking, they wouldn't be allowed to join Pike. Being a Pike brother was contingent on this rite of passage. It's unfortunate Stone didn't have a choice. Stone was making a commitment, just like any sports team, that he was going to join this fraternity. So in his mind, if he would back out of the fraternity and not want to join, what do you think would have happened? Exact same thing. They would have made fun of him. And then he'd be the guy on the campus that backed out from a fraternity. Stone never had a choice. Lawyers for the Fultz family believe it took Stone no less than 18 minutes to finish his bottle. The event started around 9 p.m. and Stone's big brother dropped him off at his apartment at 10.22 p.m. Stone was left alone for about 30 minutes. His roommate Wade found him passed out lifeless on the couch. He called Stone's girlfriend Maddie and her friend to come over to help. He looked blue and his breathing was so shallow you could barely see his chest rising. Maddie called 911. The scene in Stone's apartment quickly turned from a calm call for help into a cacophony of tears, prayers, and CPR instructions from the 911 operator. As a warning to our listeners, the following emergency call contains graphic content. Swick County 911, what is your emergency? Hi, um, someone that we know is uh, non-responsive and he drink alcohol, like a lot of alcohol, so. Okay, nope, you're fine, I got it. How old is your friend? Uh, he's 20. 20, okay. And what's he doing right now? Um, he's laying down on his side. His ears are, his face is really purple, and he's, his uh, pupils aren't responsive. Okay. Is he breathing? Yeah, he's breathing, but it's really shallow. And he's been drinking, you said? Yeah. Okay. 
Is he taking anything else we need to know about? No. Okay. Are you positive he's breathing? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm positive. Do you see his chest rising up and down? No, not right now. Okay. And he's blue? Yeah. Okay, then he. there's a good chance he's not breathing. I want you to get down. Is he on the floor? Yeah, he is. Okay. Do you see his chest rising at all? She said, does you see his chest rising? I don't see it rising, guys. Okay, do you know how to do CPR, or do you want me to walk you through it? She said, we don't do CPR. Is there somebody else there that can do CPR? No, no, no. I can walk you guys through it. Wait. Oh, my God. Okay, listen to me, Maddie. You need to help your friend. Calm down. Okay, okay, okay. She said, I don't see it just going up and down. You do see it going up and down? Please. Do you see his chest? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is it rising or not? Oh, my God. No. No. Put someone else on the phone. Maddie? Maddie, put someone else on the phone right now that will help him. Who's doing CPR? Um, um, his name is Wade. He's doing CPR. Okay, put Wade on speakerphone and let me talk to him. Okay, Wade, Wade. Yeah. Uh, Wade, do you know how to do CPR or do you need me to uh, help Oh, roughly. You? I was in Boy Scouts a long time ago. Okay, did you make sure he has nothing in his mouth that's causing him not to breathe? No, he has nothing in his mouth. Okay, did you tilt his head back and everything and make sure? Yeah. Okay, yeah. did you start CPR? Yeah. Okay, you have the heel of one hand in the center of his breast bone and between yep. his nipples and you're pushing down hard? Yep. Okay, let's count. Ready? One, yep. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Do you feel comfortable giving him two breaths, or do you want to keep the compression? Wade? Yeah. Did you give him two rescue breaths? Yes. Okay, are you, are you starting the compressions again? Yep. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. The girls need to go in another room. But Stone couldn't be revived until paramedics arrived. Stone was a tall, lean, and stylish kid with a contagious laugh and bright blue eyes. He loved fashion and worked plenty of odd jobs to afford his obsession with Gucci and Nike sneakers. He saved up enough money from his landscaping job to buy an old Mercedes with about 100,000 miles on it. He washed it all the time. No one but his grandmother was allowed to cut his hair. He grew up with a full head of blonde hair, but he started getting perms and dyed it black once at college. Stone was the oldest of Sherry and Corey's three children, and Sherry called him her mother hen because he was always taking care of his younger siblings, 16-year-old brother AJ and 10-year-old sister Jersey. He was protective of them, and they were extremely close despite their age differences. 
Stone loved to make TikTok videos with his sister, who both adored him and his dance moves. Some of his fraternity brothers made fun of Stone for his TikTok videos. But others clearly liked Stone's style, too, considering that he had built a following of more than 12,000 on TikTok. One of his videos received more than 3 million views. When Corey thinks of his son, he remembers a hero. Stone would let his younger brother crawl into bed with him at night when he got scared. He stuck up for the smaller kids on his basketball and lacrosse teams. He was a team player who always did what he was told. After his best friend Jake died in a car crash their junior year of high school, Stone still went over to Jake's house every day to do his homework after school. Stone would even call Jake's sister Lexi during his freshman year at BGSU to make sure she got home safe every night from her nursing classes in downtown Columbus. It was almost like Stone was filling his own emotional needs by going over, but it was also filling a void for the parents. You know, they just lost a son, but Stone was able to be there to help kind of fill that missing son void. Even though he was going through the grieving process at that young of an age, he was able to do that and step up. He was there for them months after. He was there for Lexi, the the sister. Um, He continued throughout the years to be beside her and, and do everything for her as a big brother, filling Jake's spot. So he was just showing little signs then of being a hero. Sherry was awakened around midnight by the family dog who needed to go outside. She glanced at her phone and saw she had a text from one of Stone's friends saying there was trouble. Then she missed a call from a strange number and redialed it. A woman from the Wood County Sheriff's Office picked up and told her paramedics had performed CPR on Stone and that he had gone into cardiac arrest. Sherry tossed the phone to Corey and said she could no longer talk. She knew, in that moment, that something happened at the drinking ritual. A short time later, the Foltzes were racing towards the Bowling Green Hospital, hoping their son would be stable and that they would be able to get there before he was life-flighted to a Toledo hospital. When they arrived, Stone was not able to breathe on his own. A respirator was keeping him alive, and he showed no other signs of life. We walked in there, and he was on all, a bunch of tubes, and... basically said that he had no brain activity. Doctors told the Foltzes that Stone's blood alcohol content was lethally high. Stone was then transferred to the ProMedica Toledo Hospital where, at 3 a.m., while sitting in the lobby, the Foltzes were greeted by an official from Bowling Green State University. He didn't have much information, but told the Foltzes that it was standard procedure to check in on the well-being of a student when a serious incident occurs. No one had told her the details, but Sherry knew this was hazing. I knew it was hazing at that point. I mean, I had the conversation that he was doing a drinking ritual. I knew it obviously got out of control. Um, At that point, I figured I just assumed in order for what happened, based on what the little I was told, he he was at the apartment by himself. There was a short window. If we talk to him at 8.44 and he has not left yet and we get a call at 12-something, you're talking a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour window. But there's something in between there. It was about 10 o'clock, something we know happened or 
So it's like, how can someone drink in that short of a window and basically pass out and not come back and on cardiac arrest? Stone made it through the night, but nothing changed throughout the day. Saturday was more of the same. The Foltzes prayed and prayed, but the miracle to save their son never came. On Sunday, March 7th, Stone Justin Foltz died at the age of 20. Even after Stone's death, his legacy of helping others continued. Six of Stone's organs and much of his body tissue were donated. Even after they knew Stone was essentially brain dead, Sherry and Corey stayed at the hospital another full day and night while their son's organs were prepared to be donated. Stone's funeral services were held in Delaware the following weekend. During his eulogy, Corey told everyone to remember Stone the way he would remember his son. Corey's belief that Stone was a hero was reinforced even more by a note they received following his funeral. In it, a former high school classmate said that Stone's kindness pulled her back from the brink when she was bullied. So they had wrote, Hi, I know you don't know me, but I was a year ahead of Stone at Buckeye Valley. I couldn't bring myself to go to his funeral because not many people know that I was friends with him. But I wanted to let you know that even though his life was cut short, he did a lot of good during it. He is one of the reasons I am still alive today. He stood up for me when I was being severely bullied in high school. He was one of three people at Buckeye Valley that was by my side with everything I went through. I cannot even begin to imagine what you're going through right now, and I am praying for you and your family every night. Just know that he had a hand in saving my life when I was about to give up. He is a hero. But the anger and frustration over Stone's senseless death remained. Sherry couldn't help but think of Stone's fraternity big brother, who was supposed to be looking out for him. If someone had stayed with Stone, she wondered, would he still be alive today? To me, you killed him. You're the one responsible. If that's, if that's going to be your ritual, and that's part of your big brother supposed to stay with him the remainder of the night to watch over him, I'm sure that's what Stone was told, so why in his head would he think anything's going to happen? And then that person leaves and no one's with him? To me, you, you just, you, you killed him. You left him there to die. Stone's death set off a firestorm on college campuses among those who were angered by yet another senseless hazing death. Bowling Green students held a formal protest three days after Stone's death. They called for the abolishment of the Pike fraternity, the firing of Greek life officials, and a complete culture change. This wasn't the first time the BG Pike fraternity had trouble. It had been placed on a probation for six months until May of 2020 for hazing allegations in 2018 and 2019. Pike fraternities across Ohio and the nation also have had a history of hazing incidents. Hazing! 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 Hazing!
demand is the permanent expulsion of the Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity on BGS's campus. And then we want BGSU to publicly and explicitly take accountability for what happened and what has happened within the structure of fraternity and sorority life. We demand the immediate resignation of Dean Stacey Allen and the advisors to the Office of Fraternity and Sorority Life as a consequence of the ways they have enabled dangerous practices from fraternity and sorority life. And lastly, we demand that BGSU acknowledge that this is not an isolated incident and that Phi Kappa Alpha fraternity has caused irreparable harm to the members of the BGSU community. A day after the BG protest, State lawmakers, led by State Senator Stephanie Kunze, a Republican from the Columbus suburb of Hilliard, renewed their effort to pass anti-hazing legislation. The new version of the law is different than House Bill 310, the one that failed to make it out of the committee last December. Most notably, Senate Bill 126, still called Collins Law, would expand the definition of hazing in Ohio to include the forced consumption of drugs and alcohol, and would make the punishments for those who haze more severe. Currently in the state of Ohio, hazing is a fourth-degree misdemeanor, which is comparable to not paying a parking ticket. Under Collins' law, that would be increased to a second-degree misdemeanor for general hazing and a third-degree felony for any hazing involving drugs or alcohol. Kunze and other lawmakers believe that this time, Collins' law will have a better chance of passing because a more complicated anti-bullying act isn't attached to it as it was in the last version. Kathleen Wyant the mother of Colin Wyant, who died in November 2018 after months of hazing at Ohio University, joined lawmakers as the new law was introduced. Keller Blackburn, the prosecutor in Athens County, where Ohio University is located, said legislation such as Colin's law is crucial to helping prosecutors go after those who perpetuate hazing. Blackburn charged and eventually convicted seven members of the Sigma Pi fraternity at Ohio University following Colin's death a rarity among prosecutors. As of 2018, a dispatch investigation found that in the past 25 years, there were only five recorded hazing charges in Ohio. If we think this is a serious problem, which for you know millions of people across this country, even those who don't have serious issues from it other than the emotional trauma, you know, not prosecuting it more wholly and not making it a felony allows it, it's already cloaked in a secrecy of of an organization that, you know, it's different. you're not supposed to talk about the rituals that go on. And so, I mean, you know, state reps need to decide whether they want to protect Ohio citizens or protect Ohio institutions, but all college campuses and some other organizations. I mean, criminal gangs have hazing that take part in them. Making it a felony would allow for us to try to break down the close clone of secrecy that exists in these organizations and hold them responsible, and it may allow us to change the culture. A few weeks after Stone's death, a report from the Lucas County coroner confirmed what the Fultz family believed. Stone died of fatal alcohol intoxication, also known as alcohol poisoning, during a hazing ritual. The coroner wrote in her report that the death was accidental, but caused at a college fraternity induction ritual. The report showed that Stone had a blood alcohol content of 0.394 when he died nearly five times the legal limit to be considered drunk in Ohio. It's likely that it was even higher when his big brother dropped him off at his apartment. That same week, Bowling Green officials announced that Pike Fraternity was found responsible for six violations of the university's Code of Student Conduct 
following an extensive investigation headed by a former U.S. attorney. The violations included four counts of hazing, one count of harm to others, and one underage alcohol violation. Immediately after Stone's death, the Pi Kappa Alpha International Fraternity suspended the BGSU chapter and expelled all of its members. Then, a month later, Bowling Green permanently banned Pike Fraternity from its campus. On April 29th, Wood County Prosecutor Paul Dobson announced criminal charges against eight young men in Stone's death. Seven of them were currently enrolled at BG. Six of them were charged with involuntary manslaughter, one with reckless homicide, and all eight were charged with misdemeanor hazing. After reading the list of indictments, Dobson paused. It was the first time a hazing case had been prosecuted in Wood County, something he hoped he would never have to do. In a moment of earnestness, he hoped it would be his last. Please, God, let it be the last time that it's prosecuted in the United States. Behind Dobson stood Sherry and Corey, alongside Stone's aunt, DJ Williams. It would have been normal or expected for the Fultz family to take some time away from the world, to retreat from daily life, and to grieve the loss of their son and brother. But ten days after the funeral, Sherry and Corey joined the Wyants in their fight to end hazing. They started with an interview with the Columbus Dispatch, and the next morning, they told the nation what happened to Stone on Good Morning America. Like the Wyants, they are determined to continue a crusade against hazing as long as it takes. We are still in the grieving process, so to be here today, I want to stop. A stop to this. Not next week, not a month, not a year. A stop now. These university presidents, the national fraternities, need to, to stop it today. They need to close these fraternities down until they can hold these young people accountable. It just needs to stop until we can have restrictions, guidelines, a better process. There needs to be harsher punishments because if they, these kids know that they can just get a slap on the hand and do community service, it's going to continue. And suspending a local chapter is not going to, it's, it's not, not going to resolve happen, it. No. I hold the, like I said, the university presidents accountable and I hold the national fraternities accountable. They're the ones who need to stop it now. They need to close them down until it can be looked at and people are held accountable. In early April, Kathleen Wyant was back at the Ohio State House. Once again, she described to a group of lawmakers the horrifying night she learned that Colin had died. She again detailed how he was beaten and forced to drink and was hazed in other ways for months leading up to his death. She told them how painful it was to not be able to celebrate Colin's 21st birthday with him. She again reminded them that hazing inflicts pain and suffering on hundreds of thousands of people, not just those who lose their lives. She again pleaded with them to pass a law that could spare others from losing their children. Kathleen and Wade Wyant were broken once again when they learned of the death of Stone Fultz. They couldn't believe that another Ohio family had lost a young son to hazing. Their hearts ached for Sherry, Corey, AJ, and Jersey. The news of Stone's death ripped open the Wyant's own pain. It made them relive Colin's death and the 30 months of grief that has followed. 
Kathleen told members of the Ohio Senate's Workforce and Higher Education Committee that Stone's death was a reminder that an anti-hazing law should have been passed months before he died. And if they hesitated to pass Collins' law again, and by chance another student died by hazing, then the same nightmare that the Wyants relived when Stone died would become a reality for the Fultz family. We don't want another family to go through the pain and loss our families experienced. Sadly, another family has. The hazing death of Stone Fultz further underscores the importance of getting this bill passed and not having it stall as it did last November. No family should ever have to go through what his family has gone through. No family should ever have to go through what my family has gone through. This bill is about changing a culture where hazing is accepted and even expected. This bill is about saving lives. We currently have a culture that dismisses hazing with this boys will be boys mentality. Would Stone be alive today if Ohio lawmakers had approved Collins' law in December? Would it have deterred his fraternity brothers from pressuring Stone to drink to his death? And if the Pike brothers had still hazed Stone to death, would the law have made it possible to hold these young men to a higher legal standard? No one knows the answers to these questions. But following Kathleen's testimony, there was a rare admission of failure by those in power. Committee Chairman Terry Johnson, a Republican from Southern Ohio's Scioto County and a practicing physician, asked Bruce Johnson, president of the Inner University Council of Ohio, why such a law hadn't been introduced years ago if hazing has been such a menace for so long. Why is it taking a grieving mother like Kathleen Wyant to convince people the law is needed? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's an excellent question, and we should have. What happens when I served eight years in this body? You know, what, what happens is typically people bring these things to you. We should have recognized that we were failing in this regard, and we should have brought, uh, if we needed additional assistance, we should have brought more attention to it and raised it with you. So it's a failure on behalf of Ohio's public universities. But Terry Johnson told the room the failing was one of leadership that goes beyond the universities. If those are state-sponsored universities, then this legislative body uh, bears a burden also. And I think we've all failed these, these people, and uh, we don't want to single out just the universities. Uh, but my point uh, in, in making my comments to Mrs. Wyant was very specifically to bring to light the fact that Almost always when things like this are going on and there's a culture, there's a failure of leadership. Kathleen's story was again a gut punch for those in the room. But this time, her tragic depiction of hazing was supported by someone who survived his own hazing hell. Tyler Perino told the committee he was lucky to be alive following weeks of hazing at Miami University. He told them how it all culminated on the night of March 16, 2019 which ultimately led to 18 fraternity brothers being criminally charged and the fraternity chapter being banned until at least 2034. As soon as I walked in, I was told to put a blindfold on and was put in a room with the 24 other pledges. At one point, the active members singled me out because I had not been coming to recent events as I was having trouble with my grades. Someone grabbed me from the couch and put me on the floor, which was covered in beer. I was told to do meow-ups, which are push-ups while making a meowing sound. After doing 20 to 30 push-ups, I put my knee on the ground to take a break. One of the active members kicked me in the chest to prompt me to keep going. 
I continued to do meow-ups. After I finished, I was forced to sit on the knees of two pledges. I was told the other pledges were carrying me, so I had to sit on their laps. During this time, I was told that you're so effed and someone spit beer in my face. They would whisper in my ear and then slap me across the face multiple times. After about 60 minutes of this, we were taken to rooms to meet our big brothers. I then heard another pledge getting struck with a paddle and heard him start screaming and cussing. The next thing I knew, the active members were rubbing a paddle between my legs. Out of nowhere, I got hit with a paddle on my backside. I began to scream. The paddle had holes and grooves on it and had edges that caused extensive bruising and cuts on my backside. I threatened to leave, but was told, the first one hurts the most, and then you'll get numb to it, and it won't hurt that much. Get back on the wall. Throughout the night, I was paddled repeatedly, was forced to drink six Smirnoff ice in less than five minutes, and vomited numerous times. When I thought it was all over, I was handed a bottle of Crown Royal and told that I had to finish the bottle that night. They told me, chug until you puke. Other pledges were gathered in a circle with each other, chugging hard liquor until they vomited. I vomited nearly, nearly every sip of the Crown Royal. Numerous times through the night, active members would say, hey, Tyler, get on the wall and proceed to paddle me. As if this was not enough, later in the evening, I was handed a joint and told to smoke it because it would help numb the pain. After that, I was put on the wall again and told that it was tradition to paddle the pledges on their bare buttocks, and I was paddled directly on my backside. At some point after it was clear I was unable to continue any further because of the drugs, alcohol, and physical abuse, I was taken back to my dorm and left there. I continued to vomit in my dorm room and felt like I was going to die. I blacked out and 911 was called. Tyler, now a student at the University of Toledo, woke up in the hospital with a blood alcohol content three times the legal limit. He somehow escaped what Stone and Colin hadn't. Now, he hopes to spare others the same fate. Hank Neuer, the nation's leading hazing expert and author of Hazing, Destroying Young Lives, believes laws such as the one Ohio is debating can save lives and help prevent the abuse of thousands of others. Newer has been tracking U.S. hazing deaths for decades. He estimates that there's been nearly 100 hazing deaths at American colleges since 2000. Passing this law sends a message that the people of Ohio won't tolerate these, tragic, these tragedies that have been occurring since 1874 in fraternities and sororities. And again, when you think that this has occurred in Ohio with Boy Scouts, elementary, high school, fraternities, athletics... Uh, it's a big problem. Passing Collins' law would be an important step, but it will take more than a law to snuff out hazing. It will take universities educating its students on the dangers of hazing and cracking down on student organizations that put members' safety and well-being at risk. It will take parents like Sherry and Corey, like Kathleen and Wade, sacrificing their time and tears to see change through at the state and federal levels. It will take alumni and donors of fraternities and sororities calling on their national organizations to increase scrutiny of their beloved chapters and hold them accountable. 
It will take people like Tyler and other Greek Life members to break their code of silence to share the horrors of hazing they endured. And it will take young men in fraternities across the country to stop giving their loyalty to a ritual that can kill and start giving it to the young men like Colin and Stone, who they call brothers. This has been Broken Pledge. We thank you for listening and encourage you to share this audio project with anyone who wants to learn more about the dangers of hazing. For more information and updates, please visit dispatch.com slash broken pledge.